Welcome. I'm your host, Carl Nelms, and this is the Bloke Psychology Podcast, where we discuss everything from men's health, mental health, relationships, psychology, masculinity, and pretty much everything that relates to being a man in today's society. Today's episode features Mr. Jackson Godin. Now, Jackson is a psychotherapist and counsellor from Sydney, Australia, and we chat primarily today about trauma and addiction. We discuss the different types of trauma, what trauma actually is, how it can impact individuals throughout their lives, and often lead to an addiction of one kind or another. We discuss how individuals can work through traumas and addictions. Jackson's experience of one-on-one counseling, group therapy in the different settings he's worked in. And we also touch on the COVID-19 crisis and some well-being tips given at the time of recording this. Us down in Melbourne have just started our second COVID-19 lockdown. Enjoy, guys. And welcome back to the Bloke Psychology Podcast, guys. Thanks for tuning in again. Today, I'm speaking to Mr. Jackson Godin. Now, Jackson is in a park as we record at the moment because he had a fire alarm going off in his, his apartment. So that's why you might hear some birds going on in the background. But I appreciate the dedication, Jackson. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing pretty good. It's a bit chilly down um, or up here in Sydney. Um, yeah, so hopefully it's just the birds you can hear, not too many cars go past. But yeah, I'm feeling good, man. No, well, it, it looks cold, but it looks like a nice park you're in. But anyway, tell us, Jackson, let's dive into it. Who, who is Jackson and uh, what are you passionate about in this space of mental health? Who am I? Um, my name's Jackson. I am a psychotherapist up in Sydney. So um, yeah, I've been doing that for... For about five years now, I'm just doing quite a lot of different things, trying to find um, my niche, trying to figure out where I want to put my my work. And I just I just keep finding myself back in trauma, whatever that means and however that works out. So um, I've done a lot of space in addiction. Um, I think the closest link to trauma is, is generally found in, in that addiction space. So I've done a lot of stints in... Um, psychiatric facilities, um, uh, mental health support working sort of thing, and then counseling in uh, drug and alcohol um, spaces and a bit of that. And then um, trying to go, wow, a lot of these guys are just so traumatized. Where is it coming from? What, how is it happening? And who's getting to these kids before it gets to this point? And then did a lot of space in... Um, working with like the trauma, most traumatized kids in the state in New South Wales. Um, had a caseload of about five that were unplaceable, um, whether that's because they're violent or they're just um, not um, safe enough to be around other kids or foster homes. So they are in pretty intensive placements and yeah, looking after them and really seeing how that trauma is created and why addiction becomes that option for so many people so yeah my, my passions all lie in that trauma trauma space um and then i guess the worst thing that can happen for someone is suicide so it doesn't matter what what goes on for someone suicide being the um 
I guess the, the, the worst turn for them. So a lot of, a lot of time for suicide prevention and yeah, working, working really closely with um, trauma and emotional pain. Mm. Some really, really complex individuals. I imagine you're coming across in your daily work. How do you define trauma Jackson? Um, it's a really good question. I really, I've, I've worked with, with trauma for a while and, and I've read, Oh, I love reading out trauma. Like I spend my, my extra time reading, reading <laughs> trauma, which is crazy. Um, but uh, the, the best definition that I've heard is, is that trauma is, is anything that's a, that was a less than nurturing experience. Um, obviously there's your more obvious traumas of, sexual or physical abuse, which um, I guess makes the most sense when we talk about trauma. Um, but there's so many other underlying things like neglect and emotional abuse and um, just absent parents or, or, you know, chronic things, repetitive things happening to you or just the um, loss of something. Um, so it sort of means that then that environment growing up when you're a child is can be less than nurturing. You didn't get what you needed. You didn't receive what you, you, you needed to receive in order to, to build our brains and, and function properly within society. It's more of the complex trauma side of things. Um, they say little T and big T, I guess. So. Um, yeah. I like that though. Less, less than nurturing because I'm sure you experience this a fair bit, but whenever I'm speaking to some, some clients, mostly guys, given the, given the work I do, you'll speak to them about their, their childhood and you'll be just trying to dig and scratch the surface. And what was the relationship like with mum and dad? What was your childhood like? And I'm sure you hear this Jackson where a lot of people say, no, no, it was good. You know, no, they always gave me what I needed and yeah, no, it was good. And the, but you know, you even have some people say, no, no, there was no trauma, no abuse, nothing like that. Yeah. 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 Then maybe a session or two later, you scratch the surface a bit deeper and exactly how you articulated it. Then there is, maybe some neglect, maybe on the surface. Yeah. There was a roof over their head. There was clothes, there was food on the table, but those emotional needs at times are, are often what really was the trauma for those individuals. And that can be just as significant as any physical trauma. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I worked at um, South Pacific private, which is a psychiatric addiction treatment center in, in um, Sydney. And a lot of group therapy in there and I guess the you'd share about your story and there'd be so many guys sharing really horrific um you know abuse and quite overt things that have been happening and then it would come to the person who had to share about divorce and not having that parental role and really having to you know figure out who they were by themselves and not feeling that's adequate and they didn't want to share and the amount of times we'd look at their story and just see the same dysfunctional or, you know, how much pain was still there just with this, you know, the same sort of thing that wasn't able to happen for them and the same safety risks and the same vulnerabilities that came out. And they're just as, they're just as traumatic as these more obvious, um, you know, in your face traumas. Mm. And I've heard, obviously, today we were just chatting before we hit record that uh, I'm in Melbourne, obviously, and we're in day two of our second COVID-19 lockdown, which is 
Fantastic. But uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about the lockdowns themselves actually being quite traumatic because of that uncertainty and all the other implications that lockdown and quarantine and a viral pandemic has. Would you classify that as trauma? Absolutely. You, you, I guess what... I guess that what what most people think trauma is is, and it is a massive part of that is is disasters and um, you know things that are car crashes and massive pandemics, um, and hurricanes, cyclones, um, all that sort of thing, and then and then I guess war and and veterans coming back from war and having PTSD. You know these are traumatic events, and they definitely create. Um, PTSD, they create uh, dysfunction, they create depression, they create anxiety based off all of the things that are happening. Um, it's the repetitive, complex childhood trauma that I guess I work in, but it plays out the same way. A lot of it plays out the same way. Well, I think what's happening at the moment, Carl, is, is people who haven't experienced adversity as much as the, the next person experiencing this pandemic is, is one of the major biggest crises they've ever experienced in their life. And they don't know how to deal with it. This is, they're, they're, this is all very new, new for them. So, you know, I'm, 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 I'm quite concerned with the people that, that I guess have been, you know, doing, doing really well. And then all of a sudden this has hit them. And uh, my clients at the moment, a lot of them are on the complex side of things. And I guess, a, you know, a pandemic for them is like, well, I'm very used to trauma. And I know how to survive really, really well. And I'm still trying to figure out and survive through the traumas that I've experienced. This is, this is nothing compared to that. So I, I, I find a lot of resilience from people that have experienced adversity in times of pandemic mm. because they, they know how to reduce their, their cost of living. They know um, what it's like to have uncertainty constantly happen for them. Um, Yes, it's the people that, that haven't had that sort of thing happen that, that I'm a bit worried about. Um, well, with any, any kind of trauma, I mean, that, that word uh, that was on you know, the tip of my tongue, uncertainty and things beyond your control. So would you agree any, any sort of trauma, physical, verbal, uh, psychological, emotional, it is uncertainty and it's beyond your control? And, and that's how we see it play out. And that's how we treat it is... A lot of people come with these presenting concerns that are that are built around intimacy or um, connection issues or um, lack of control or over control trying to survive in the world. So mm-hmm. that's what we that's what we see, and that's what they're coming to talk about a lot of the time. You know, whether it's domestic violence or whether it's addiction or whether it's anything, it all comes back to this like. This is what I'm doing to cope. This is what's serving me a purpose to stay in control and, and you know, stay out of this unpredictable world that I, I don't want to exist in. Um, this is what's keeping me at bay. So absolutely, that's, that's, that's how it all plays out in, in the world of trauma. Mm. And what you were touching on just uh, before about the resilience, which it might seem ironic to some, but the people who have been through significant traumas and triumphs in their life actually are a lot more equipped to face uh, future adversity and traumas. And that's one thing that's always intrigued me. And I found a fascinating topic, whether it be in the AOD space or some of the refugee work I used to do that, that notion of post-traumatic growth. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I think 
there's there's two i'm sorry if i go off track at all i, I tend to talk a lot but you just pull me bring me back in um but i think the there's, there's a couple of things that i that i've been seeing happening in the times like these it's it's the it's the amount of resilience that's coming through and how much growth you're putting in place when something like this that's so uncertain and so out of people's control which if it was you know, a year ago for some of these guys, this pandemic would have destroyed them, would have really just thrown them off even further and, and, and almost given them reason to keep borrowing into, you know, their, their activity or behavior of concern. And you see, you know, this is such a great example of going, this would have, this would have messed you up a year ago. Look how far you've come. Look at what you've been able to achieve whilst everybody else is freaking out and the news is freaking out and all these people are just losing their jobs left, right and center, not knowing what's next, not knowing how to survive in isolation and, and look what you've been able to do through learning about what it is that's happened in the past and being able to start to integrate that into your day-to-day so that even when a pandemic comes into the world, you can use those skills and use those strengths that you've learned along the way. And that's, that's post-traumatic growth. That's where you see it um, forced upon you to have to use, you know, the, the other thing that, that is happening and, and I guess it's an opportunity for growth, but people react to things, how they've experienced them in the past. So a lot of people that are put into this uncertainty and, you know, being out of our control is they're going to relate that to things where they have been uncertain and they have been out of control in the past. Like for some of my clients that have had significant trauma happen to them, they're replaying today in this pandemic as if it was something that's happened in their past. So they're, they go into their shell, they, they start getting triggered by this and it's actually how much of this is is this you know here how much is this is is there and, and bringing the reality of growth into that and saying can we distinguish the fact that yes this is triggering something that you're familiar with which is that uncertainty and lack of control and can we can we say that those things are distinctively different but you're just noticing this is how i normally react to uncertainty can i can I name that for what it is and not get stuck in the old patterns and the old behaviors and old ways of my brain sort of wiring in this certain way and try and change that. That's been really cool to see too. Such an empowering sort of perspective, isn't it? For people who have been through such horrific things to be able to have that perspective and work with somebody like yourself and actually come to the point of realization that, Hey, there's actually a silver lining to this and there's actually some positives in terms of attributes and resilience that I've developed despite going through all of that shit. Definitely. And even just like, you know, it doesn't even have to be clients. It's just people that are just like, you're just watching people react to this thing, whether it's our politicians, whether it's our, um, you know, our friends and our family, the stress levels and the window of tolerance for people, you can I mean, we can look past that for a second and say, like, this person's, you know, a bit overly anxious about this. And you go, well, yeah, okay, fair enough. They probably have a life of 
something that, that's created this awareness and cautious way of being. And we need these people because they put risk, risk assessments and risk management plans together and try and keep us safe. And then there's others that completely isolate and withdraw from these experiences and, and disconnect completely. I think I've been hearing a lot about um, extroverts freaking out, having to be in lockdown. And I'm one of those people. It's like, well, what do I do with myself? How do I, how do I, I can't connect with everybody. Like what's, what am I going to do? And the introverts are like, come on in. This is my space. We don't like talking to people. We like being in a little bubble. And our alone time is very important to us. Come and join us. And we're like, that's what I've found absolutely fascinating about the last lockdown and over the last sort of month as we've eased restrictions in Melbourne before we were back in lockdown again. For some clients, existing clients I had, it the lockdown was incredibly positive. The amount of clients I had who are, I suppose, stereotypically those introverts, uh, those socially more, more socially anxious characters who a lot of them say, look, my job requires me to put on a facade of being an extrovert and engaging socially, but this lockdown has been fantastic because mm. I can just, I don't have to go to those events and meetings that I don't want to go to anymore. And I can just be myself and enjoy my alone time and time with my family and occasionally see a friend, but that's enough. But as you said, then you have the other end of the scale, the extroverts. It's the complete opposite, isn't it? And that's fascinating. You can have such a profound difference of impact on two individuals purely because of their personality traits. Mm, absolutely. And it, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's intense just even like sitting with my own stuff and, and having to, to see, Oh, I'm actually a lot more extroverted than I thought. I thought I was quite introverted or whatever it is. And, and just going, okay, how am I going to adapt and adjust? And I think you spoke on my podcast, Carl, about, you know, when you notice things drop off and how important it is, then go, oh, I know I'm not running well when that's, when that's a little bit off. And I mean, I, for one, I got complacent. I got mm. complacent with the not as structured lifestyle and really had to readjust that. And for people that have emotional pain on board, that structure is so important and that routine is so important and doing things a certain way in their recovery has, has worked for them. And now we're throwing a very big test that is was never something we could have predicted. It's like a curveball. Talk a lot about that in relapse prevention. Is what are your curveballs? How would you know that they're going to come? You know, come straight at you. Yeah, and those curveballs, especially like this lockdown number two in Melbourne, can be the perfect trigger for a relapse or a slip, can't it? Oh, absolutely. And and yeah, in terms of addiction, the the amount of unfortunate relapse that's occurred in the last few months has been it's it's been high even just i think alcohol prices in new south wales or not prices alcohol sales went up 300 percent at dan murphy's like people would make drinking during the week and these are people with addiction and without addiction people just are going back to those behaviors that think that work really well to cope and we get overindulgent and that's creating problems for people that didn't have the same sort of problems before. So just tell us a bit about addiction, Jackson, because even though we've come a long way in the last decade or two about the stigma surrounding addiction and slow, slowly moving away from this, 
I suppose, stigma surrounding it being a disease or a dysfunction in the individual, I still think there's a lot of misconceptions about addiction. So tell us a bit about that. Oh, how long you got? I can talk about the misconceptions about addiction all day. Um, Yeah, where do I begin? I think... Addiction, addiction for me and, and the way it makes sense to me is it doesn't necessarily have to come from a trauma or traumatic experience, but I think that every addiction comes from a place of something that's been a painful experience where addiction to whatever it might be, it could be video gaming, could be dysfunctional eating, could be uh, drugs, could be alcohol, could be gambling whatever we find pleasure relief or reward in to, to an excess is something that can potentially be created into an, an addiction and something that we then become hooked on because it serves a purpose for us it's it's giving me the ability to escape it's giving me the ability to not be in my current reality Sorry, big truck coming past. Um, it it's it allows me to not have to be with that painful experience. So when we look at addiction, um, and not not everybody sees it this way, and, and I'm completely, you know, willing to talk with those people and 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 hear their side of things. But what I want to find out when when it's addiction is is what what's behind that. What is it that you don't want to feel? What is it? Where is it that that pain sits for you? And, and then I make sense of the addiction. Like we, we, all, we all look and scroll through our phones all day, every day, because it serves as a purpose, even though it might be relentlessly the same shit scrolling through Facebook all day, we still, we still go back to that. We still go back to that and we still do it. And for whatever reason, for whatever moment, it's, it's an escape. It's, a, it's, it's, it's giving us some sort of moment of, I don't know, out of our minds or whatever. And we just have a little scroll throughout. And it's so habitual for so many people now. When we look at that, um, that sort of thing now, it's, it starts to make addiction make sense for people that have had a bit, a bit more pain on board and that they've got a lot more to compensate for, to get, to get rid of or to you know, become numb to, that we see people indulge in gambling and drugs and alcohol because it's going to take them away from that so that's probably a, a bit, bit broad in terms of, of the answer of what what is addiction but for me it's 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 a, it's a disconnect from something but also serving a purpose for us to to not have to you know have that painful experience on board and yeah, there's, there's plenty of avenues we can go into in terms of types of addictions and, and what those do. And then I guess the different dependencies on things, but that's probably how I see it and definitely how I treat it, like just face to face. Yeah. And I mean, I think that was beautifully put. And the smartphone and gambling, gaming addiction, pornography addiction, I mean, a lot of those things are, are a lot newer because of technology and i think a lot of people now especially with social media are starting to realize that all of us are wired towards that escapism aren't we the 
the ease of access to alcohol, to social media, to gaming, to pornography, to gambling, whatever it is, it really does. Uh, it resonates with that caveman monkey brain that we all have. Uh, that 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 often debate that I'm sure you talk to your clients a lot about as well, Jackson, between your rational brain and the caveman brain. Mm. Caveman brain all at once is survival, and if there's a threat, it's okay. Let's avoid it. Let's fight it or avoid it. Mm. And especially when we're all walking around now with something in our pocket that within three seconds we can unlock and be escaping from reality or that painful feeling, or maybe it's not even pain. Maybe it's just a bit of discomfort. Yeah, that, that's a hard thing to resist. I think, you know, and this is why I think it's so closely related to trauma for so many people. And again, it's not all, it's not all, but it is like 90 plus percent of addiction is, is closely related to trauma. When we look at the adversive childhood experience study, um, we see um, it just plain and clear that that's, it's so closely related to trauma. The, the example of what you're saying when we look at the trauma lens and Peter Levine talks about um, the tiger. Um, so our, when we were, when we were young or when we were cavemen years and years ago, um, our threats were, were tigers or, or whatever the animal threat was. And that would put us into our fight, flight or freeze response. And we'd have to figure out how to survive in that mate. exactly what you're talking about. Now that tiger is our boss. It's our, it's our relationships. It's our parents. It's our, um, you know, our past traumas. It's our emotional pain. It's, it's all these little things that are triggering us are our tigers now. And, and we're put into that same sort of fight, flight, freeze response of where we we're reacting to things. And, that pain's coming up a lot more, you know, and we're not sure how to survive against this tiger of society that, cause there's so many things that society brings us that, that are going to disrupt uh, uh, or make us feel uh, discomfort, like you said. And then now we have a lot of new access to alleviate that, to put a bandaid on that, on a very open tiger wound. We put, we, we, we know how to put band-aids on it. And that's where we see a lot of addiction because it becomes more, we need more of it to not feel, you know, the bite from the tiger. And we, we then get, you know, hooked on these things that, that give us that sense of relief. Do you think Jackson, I mean, I suppose as as I'm about to ask this, it probably doesn't matter either way, but I'm curious to hear your opinion because especially when i worked uh, in the aod space and then gambler's help there seems to be two main sort of uh, theories about addiction now if you alcoholics anonymous ga na all, all of those schools of thought primarily are of the view that once an addict always an addict mm. not knocking that not knocking it at all work for some people fantastic but then there's other schools of thought and therapies and individuals that would attest to this, that that's not necessarily the case for them or for all people, because you would have a lot of individuals and, I, and I've worked with a fair few who at some point would meet the criteria for addiction or excessive use of substances or behavioral addictions, whatever it is, but have then been able to work through that and develop a healthy relationship with that thing. Now, some people would say they're still an addict, but they're just in the recovery. Whereas other people would argue 
well, no, he's no longer an addict. He's worked through that. He's developed a healthy relationship with that thing in his life now, he or she's life. Where do you sit on this? Yeah, man, I see, I see that. I sit on a, a bunch of different seats with this one, I think. Um, and, and, and taking all, all, all views of it. Cause I like you said, for me, it doesn't matter. Like I'm a, I'm a look at where you're at and I'm going to, I'm going to work with what you got. But I guess the, the, the two things that I say is a label is a label and some people really find a lot in being labeled, you know, someone with bipolar that's just found out that they're bipolar, you know, our evidence is saying that medication is the most effective. What a nice relief for that person to know that mm. finally I have bipolar and I can get medication. It's going to actually make my levels in my brain a bit more functional. And I couple that with some therapy, happy days. I now live with bipolar and I'm happy to say that. And then there's, there's people that are getting diagnosed with borderline personality disorder who absolutely despise the label. And if a label is helpful for you, great. If a label isn't helpful for you, don't wear it. I think counseling always has to come back down to the relationship with the person and if that suits them. So look, I think with, with, with the term addict, um, the way, the other thing I say with that is I don't say I'm, to any of my clients, you're going to be fully recovered. Whether you, whether you say you're, you, you know, once an addict, always an addict, um, no one's ever fully recovered. We don't say recovered. We say you're in recovery, you're recovering. And just like you say, people are getting better at managing people are getting better at living a healthy lifestyle, but it doesn't take much for that lifestyle to slip. They work their ass off to get it to where it is. And then some are not, some are, are not fragile and others are a bit more fragile. And it, that comes down to the work that you put in for recovery. But we all have our negative thoughts. We all have our core beliefs and there's no amount of work that we, we can do. That means that I'm never going to have a shameful message come back into my brain. It's, it's going to come, but whether I decide to uh, indulge in that shameful message, you know, starts to mean where my recovery is at. If I've learned how to manage and sit with that emotion and sit with that thing and, and, or have a, you know, have a drug right in front of my face and, and, and I've learned not to, to do that based off the recovery that I've put in. That's, that's probably more where I see it. Um, and people wouldn't agree with that either. People would see that you can become fully healed. You can become fully recovered. And, um, you know, we're competitive human beings. We're always striving for um, an ideal self. And, you know, some people think that they're actualized and they, they've, they've achieved that. And, you know, good on them. That's great. I think that's really great. You've found enlightenment, whatever that means for them. And they, and they can get to a point where I'm completely happy and okay with where I'm at. But there's always more things we could be doing for us. And every human can be aspiring to be that. Without goals, what, what life becomes very difficult. And I see that day in and day out with people that are still struggling in the midst of being an addict. And goals are going to help them start. And then goals are going to help them once they're fully, you know, away from that drug. They're still going to have some aspiration to achieve. You know, I do lots of work on myself constantly. And my clients are like, oh, you must be, you know, fully recovered. You know, 
you're not this anymore. You're not that anymore. I'm like, well, yeah, I am. <laughs> I still, I still have to challenge myself. I still have to, I still have defaults that aren't the most functional things in the world, and I have to challenge them in order to not, you know, slip back into them. And that's, that's probably my, my big answer of all of that. But, yeah. uh, I like, I really like that. I mean, what I, what I hear you saying there is there's. There's always a vulnerability uh, to to right. relapse or place in whatever term you like there, but to regress back to previous coping mechanisms and default ways of thinking or behaving. But also that it sounds cliche, I suppose, but it's a it is a journey. So the recovery is not a destination at all. You don't get to that point and go, "I've recovered." <laughs> It's an ongoing journey. It's it's life's work, isn't it? Yeah, and I think look, NA and AA um, use that um, to help strengthen individuals. They will say, you know, once an addict, always an addict, only for the purpose of don't forget that recovery is a journey. Mm. Don't ever forget because as soon as you forget, it's going to bite you in the ass, and you're going to come back into these meetings and say, "Hi, I'm Jackson, and I've been sober for one day." rather than the 10 years that you had up. And we have people in, in NA and AA, 20 years clean, bust. And that goes to show why that sort of, um, I guess, way of language helps some people. I think my view is, you know, what, what we manifest and say about ourselves is very important. And the language we use about ourselves is very important. I say I'm never going to get well. And that's not, that's not helping. <laughs> that's not helping the cause. If I say I'm going to get well, you know, that's, even if I didn't believe it, that's going to sound a lot better. And for some, that, that's, I guess, where the attic thing sits as well. If they have a negative connotation to it. Mm. So Jackson, just a bit on the work you currently do. You see individuals in your private practice, I think, but what, what's the work you do at, is it Odyssey House? Oh, um, yeah, so drug and alcohol service there. And I do, yeah, same sort of thing I do in, in private practice. Um, is that one-on-one or is that group programs? Both. both. Okay. Tell us a bit yeah. about the group programs because that's something it's not as popular, obviously. And a lot of people aren't too aware of uh, what happens in groups and how powerful the groups can be. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so I, I, do, um, I do group therapy in, in the private practice as well. Um, so I talked I talk to that. I think um, the, there's, there's lots of different types of groups. You know, there's a psychoeducational groups where you're just getting people involved in, in learning and understanding you know, mental health and drugs and who they are as a person and it can be very content based and people get a lot out of those things. The groups that I like to run are what's called a process group. And it's, it's about interpersonal relationships, um, working in the here and now. Um, so, um, Irvin Yalom sort of work for, for those um, who know who that is. Um, yeah, the group therapist, uh, Lord. Um, so he, he talks a lot about um, just being in the here and now and being in the moment with clients. And, and that's sort of how, how I work because at the end of the day, anyone that's coming is, is coming with this presenting thing. And what we don't come with or we walk straight into and some, and some walk into 
counseling and say, I want to work on my trauma, which is great. But most of the time people walk in with, I've got a relationship issue. I've got a drug issue. I've got depression. I've got anxiety. So when we sit in that group of people, we're wanting to look at the universality of them and the commonalities that they share with each other. And down to the core of it, these are humans wanting to connect. And for whatever reason, they're disconnected from that at the moment. And that's why they're presenting concerns that are coming up. And, um, you know, addiction is, is, is probably the most cleared, you know, the opposite of addiction is connection. So coming into a space of group therapy means that I'm able to start connecting and sharing with what's going on for me and what it is that I struggle with within the group other truck within the group forming and norming and vulnerability starts to happen people start to test whether they feel safe or they can trust each other and then start bouncing off interrelationally what's going on and people then start to i guess share feedback which i find so powerful when someone's sharing something that's so difficult to disclose and then someone sits with them in that space bees with them in that pain no that's more powerful than me the counselor sitting with you in that pain this person's another person who you see as someone that shares all this similarity and very similar struggles and concerns with you and now they're willing to sit with you and show you that you're not alone Mm. that's the power of group for me is the what we can find through just people becoming vulnerable and just really in this authentic and raw way connecting sometimes that causes lots of conflict but then when there's rupture there's repair and without that repair which is what a lot of people have never experienced we can't rebuild we can't reconnect with our relationships so a lot of people coming in with addiction or any presenting concern that repair didn't happen their repair didn't happen because they had less than nurturing experiences when they were younger. So sitting with their emotions, maybe emotions were bad. Maybe emotions were shut down. Maybe you weren't seen, heard, and listened to. So now you're in a space where all that's coming up for you in this here and now groups. Oh my God, I've got a, I'm being heard. What the hell is happening in my body? Oh, this is, this is sadness that I've never been heard before and now I'm being heard. Wait, no, now love's coming up and actually seeing that all sort of spill out sideways into this beautiful space where everyone's willing to hear and hold it. That's group therapy. It's a, it's a mess of wonder. <laughs> it, can be, it can be so powerful for people who haven't experienced it because for a lot of those individuals attending, they're experiencing that sense of belonging or that sense of validation or that they're not alone possibly for the first time in their life. And I always, one of my lecturers said this years ago to me, he said, Carl therapy, whether it's individual or group, he said, it's about overall providing a, a different relational experience to what that client is used to in his, in he or she's everyday life. And I think that's, you know, that's why Yalom and a, a lot of those, I suppose, uh, gurus in that space are so fascinating because they talk so much about that. It's not just about the strategies and the psychoeducation. It's actually about just being with that person and all those people mm. and sitting with what's going on right then and there. And that rupture and repair, 
think that in, in itself, the people who are going to group therapy with you, I imagine they've been through horrific traumas, but then to experience conflict and rupture, but then a, a repair and a resolution, they rarely, if ever, would have experienced something like that. Yeah, some of the moments that, that I guess I've had in, in group therapy through you know, all the years of practice, whether that's been as a student or that's been as a co-facilitator or as a facilitator, it's so powerful how much you can experience when you share and then also when you listen to other people's experience. And that's what we were doing. We were tribal people and we were community, you know, and, and our Eastern cultures still do that so beautifully, but we've lost some of that. And, and that's why we have all these illnesses and sicknesses because we don't know how to deal with that and cope with that. And, you know, put a pandemic in the mix of Western world. Now we're even further away from the connection that we, that we normally have in whatever, whatever, I guess, capacity that that is. And yeah, it's creating a lot of un, unusual discomfort for people in a massive, which are already disconnected even further than now um, disconnect. So yeah, I think those that are willing and, and open to counseling and, and group counseling are, are willing to be with themselves and willing to, you know, look at all their blemishes and, and scars and bruises and beautiful spots. And that takes a lot of vulnerability and a lot of courage. And ultimately people want to get well. Mm. And that's what it's all about. So Jackson, as we start to wrap up, cause I'm mindful of your time, mate. We've just gone into lockdown in Melbourne again. I hope I'm wrong, but it's probably not long until some other states <laughs> might have to go into lockdown thanks to Victoria as well. What are, what are some tips you would give anybody listening uh, to maintain their well-being, their mental health as they go into lockdown or quarantine, perhaps a second time? I think the first and foremost thing is if you're not in one of these spaces where you're experiencing something that's difficult and and hard to deal with learn how to be with people that are um do that through looking at the you know are you okay um website look at that through you know i do a lot of talking on how to talk about suicide on my website and just learn how to be with someone and holding being in them in that space and be willing to ask if they're okay so I think it's super important that some of us are doing really well in isolation. Some of us are doing our home workouts and whatever that looks like and loving it. And some aren't. So if you're, you know, you sit in the place, oh, this has been pretty good for me, then and think about being in other people's shoes and what you can do to support some of them. And then for those that are, are struggling and I guess going back into another whole round of uncertainty it's it's compassion be be compassionate with yourself and whatever's coming up for you allow yourself to actually feel those things from there it's it's reaching out you know connection is so important in our world and even in more importantly in times of crisis in times of difficulty is we need to allow ourselves and give ourselves permission to reach out for help and and connect with those that 
that are there for us and care for us. And if we don't have that, then it's then it's our lifeline. It's our anonymous callers that are taking calls over time to support people that, that need support that might not have it. So yeah, I guess the calmness, gentleness and compassion with yourself and then being willing to to reach out probably what I have to say and, and we'll get through this, but we'll get through this when we, when we work together. That's it. Well, that sense of community and connection. Jackson, if people want to get in contact with you, give us the spiel, where can they contact you? If there's somebody out there who's really resonated with what you've said and thinks shit, you know, I, I do have some stuff that I'd need to work through. Jackson sounds like my man. Mm-hmm. How do they hook that up? How do they get in contact with you? Yeah. Thanks, Carl. I think the the best way is is check out the website, findreasontherapy.com.au. Um, my Instagram page, Find Reason Therapy. Um, that has access just to different blogs and stuff that, that are helpful. You don't necessarily have to pay me money to get well. A lot of my stuff is available for people just to have a read and, and try and get well. I've got my podcast, Reason With Me podcast, which I've had the pleasure of you being on there, Carl. Um, also a very similar sort of vibe, just helping and providing connection to the community. Um, but yeah, I'm doing one-on-one and I'm doing groups as well up in Sydney. And I just also do that, um, out online. So via Skype or Zoom or whatever works. So awesome. So whenever, yeah. wherever people are in Australia or the world, they can uh, get in contact and do some video sessions with you. They absolutely can. And I, I love meeting new people and yeah, just spreading the word of, of connection and hope, I guess. Awesome. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed this, Jackson. There's, I'm sure we could go for a lot longer, but I know you've got some many other things to get to on your Friday. Um, I'll tell you what else I've enjoyed. I've enjoyed actually uh, doing a podcast with somebody in the park. It's actually been a lot more relaxing for me, actually looking at the backdrop. It actually looks like a green screen. Um, it's it's been really nice and there's lots of little lorikeets around which has been a really nice i can hear i'm going to be fascinated to listen back to this actually and uh, (laughs) hear all the birds and the magpies going nuts throughout it fire alarms and drilling so well (laughs) yes i appreciate you sitting in the cold in the park to record this for our listeners all right mate any last things you'd like to say to the audience before we uh, finish up no just um probably that it's a yeah huge honor to be on here and like psychology is 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 only going to get busier and busier now especially in times like this so anybody's listening yeah reach out if you're in melbourne um definitely definitely reach out and even, yeah even just for chats um i'm definitely available for chats as well um oh yeah awesome all right jackson thank you so much for your time mate really appreciate it take care enjoy your friday and hopefully you don't have to go down lock into lockdown anytime soon Oh, hopefully not. He's hoping, but yeah. Thanks again, Carl. Thanks again for tuning in to the Bloke Psychology Podcast. If you like what you heard, please share the episode with a friend or family member, subscribe to the podcast, or leave us a review. If you want to get in contact or find out any more about the work that we do at Bloke Psychology, just head to blokepsychology.com and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks again for listening.